You may be seated. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, it's definitely upbeat, upbeat uh, uplifting. And when you realize that we serve a risen Savior, that's what all the signs remind us, that our God is not on the cross anymore. If you come to New Covenant Church, we always want to emphasize a few things. I call it the word cloud. Uh, we're unashamed about a few things. And in big, bold print, we're Bible-believing and gospel-driven. And uh, there may be times that you are not sure about what the gospel is. I don't know if you've been able to present it in two minutes or whether you can present it in 20 minutes or two hours. Um, but there's a lot of different things that if you come to the new members class, one of my goals is to be able to equip you to make sure that you have met with the living and true God. Uh, and, and the only way we'll get there is by an open Bible. Today we're going to be preaching from Romans chapter 12. If you bring up the next slide, the emphasis there is on the inerrant infallible, inspired word as given in the originals. We do believe that this is God's word. This, this is not a book that simply contains the word of God. It is. Uh, and that's why in, in Second or Second Timothy, Paul's, some of his last words to Timothy, the word of God is, is able to, uh, to get to your core being. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the men and women of God, that you and I might be equipped to be able to take on what, what we need to take on. Today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, so if you're turning your Bibles, it's in the Pew Bible, page 1205, unless it shows up on the screen behind us. We're going to reverently attend to the public reading of God's Word. Uh, this is coming, I'm going to be looking at chapter 12, verse 9, and then I'll be expanding it again. If you would look there, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, this is the Apostle Paul writing by inspiration, God breathed these words through him, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. That was a text that should be familiar to you if you've been to church a few times. Uh, that was preached a couple weeks ago, and, and I'm picking up on that. So let me take again uh, from this, this call, as some texts will tell you the marks of a true Christian. Uh, this is an application of sanctification. But basically, the apostle is writing to Christians in Rome, to believers, people like you and me, that have met Christ. And he looks at them and he tells them, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And then our text in verses 10 to 16, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient through the tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And so do live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then he says in verse 18, and if possible, the way it's written, it's in the subjunctive mood, it may not be possible. But he says, if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, your volition, on your decisions, he says, live peaceably with all. Live peacefully. Be at peace. Then he goes on to say, and I'll just finish up these so you can see the text. We're going to preach on these another day. But he goes on to say, beloved, uh, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is the reading of God's word. And uh, I'm going to be uh, opening up this text for us a little bit more. Uh, I did want to let you know that if any of you are experts in burning coals, I would like to know. I'm still having trouble with that passage where it says, I'll just read it again. 
Uh, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a, basically a bottle of water. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I'm going to have fun preaching that one. But I am interested, if you all know of anything more than I know, I've been scouring commentaries and I've been searching the Lord on this. And uh, there, is, there is some truth here that oftentimes we miss. But I'm going to show you some insights into the text today that, that, pre, that, that are before verse 20. We're going to be focusing on verses 10 through 17. Uh, I want to be able to, uh, to focus on the fact that this is an application sermon. And you'll see it if you follow along with the uh, fourth point that is, that is provided for you on the back page if you're taking it home. Looks just like this. There's one on the table there. Uh, and the, the main points today are as follows. Uh, it's all about genuine Christian love that's found in verse 13. Excuse me, verse 9. If you're looking at verse 9 again, you can see, let your love be genuine. And I've been, been calling that GCL, genuine Christian love. Okay, is there really any other kind? Can you have fake Christian love? You know, we, I just drove quite a few miles down south, and some of the folks in the south, they have a couple of phrases that sound very Christian, but maybe they're not. They say, bless your heart. Some of you may say that. We're in southern Delaware. Um, but, but the thing is, some of the phraseology, some of the things we do may not genuinely be Christian. They may not be of Christ. And that's part of, part of the reason why this text is being written, because the people in Rome, the people in the big city, they needed some guidance, they needed some instruction, they needed some help. And uh, this genuine Christian love is, is presented to them as a challenge. If you look there in verse 9, he says, let your love be genuine. In other words, he's really looking at us saying, examine what you do, what comes out of you. You know, it's kind of like this. I have the two bottles here. If I, if I open the cap up and turn over this bottle or open up the cap and turn over this bottle, you already know that if I open up this one, what comes out? Nothing. If I pull the, turn this one over, something comes out. It's what's been put in. And those of you that look, we think it's pennies. I think the, uh, oh, there's a few quarters in there. But most of it's pennies to make it look really good. Now, my point that I'm trying to say, what's inside of you? What spills out? Is genuine love spilling out of you? That's one of the questions that we're going to be ap applying today. But uh, I wanted to be able to start off by giving you the context of this, giving you the gospel in it, and then we'll make the application, and Lord willing, it will stick. The three points of the sermon is genuine Christian love flows out of a renewed mind. How do I know this? Because the Bible says so in, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A renewed mind. So I'm going to explain what that is, uh, and we're going to look at the origination of the thoughts within that renewed mind, because that's where it starts. Secondly, we're going to look at this genuine Christian love flowing out of a renewed mind toward others. In other words, when it spills out of you, where does it go? You might be surprised how the text actually tells us where it's supposed to go. And we're going to look at the compilation of the thoughts that a renewed mind has toward others. In other words, there's a list of 13 imperatives. There's a lot of things when you look at this text. They're almost like an um, automatic weapon or something. Bang, 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 bang. After I read them, I'm not sure if you could even remember the first one. I'm not sure you can remember any of them. It seems like you're just getting overwhelmed with all of these texts. But then thirdly, after we have looked at the compilation, that the, the list of all of the thoughts that a renewed mind has towards others, it is that we're going to take the, we're going to ask the question, is genuine Christian love still flowing out of Christians today? Are we still exercising uh, this part of our sanctification? Or are we just faking it? The church, the church in 2022 is not really the first place people go to for counsel. I've often said that the ecclesiology of today's Christians is suffering. Ecclesiology is the understanding of this institution called the church, the body of Christ. It's so, it's, it's so uh, affected that even if you're a newcomer to the, uh, to the coastal Sussex region, uh, sometimes you have to really look hard to even find a church that opens the Bible. And it ought not to be. 
All of the churches should be Bible-believing. They all should be gospel-driven. They all should be able to look to Jesus for the, as the author and finisher of the faith. And there should not, nothing be added or taken away. And that's what we really are emphasizing here. And you'll see that by asking this question today, uh, is genuine Christian love flowing out of you? And we'll be looking at the application of our thoughts towards one another in the body of Christ. So with that, I'm drawing your attention to, uh, to the text that's before us, which is Romans chapter 12. Uh, and in this particular point, God is, is, has given us a lot of instruction. The people in Rome needed to hear it. And, and a quick part of it, let me read that for you in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, to give you the setup. And you'll see when I go there. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So help me out as we walk through this. Uh, who is he writing to? He's writing to believers. He calls them brothers. Can you think of the term brothers? What kind of a association does that make you think of? Family. Okay, some of you might have thought of sisters, brothers and sisters, uh, but it's definitely a theological family. The Apostle Paul sees these people that are out there as part of the family. They're brothers. Okay, so he says, I appeal to you, brothers. He's looking at these people that he knows as fellow believers, as uh, participants in the family of God, and he says, hey, I've got something for you. I really care. I want you to get what I have. This is, I need to pass it on. In a sense, that's the heart of a preacher. Not to lord it over you, but to give you guidance, like a shepherd leading a sheep. Don't stay on the path that leads to destruction, but get on the narrow way that leads to life and life everlasting. And so the apostle is appealing to believers, and he, gets, he says, because of God's mercy. And, and when he says God's mercies, you're like, wow. Mercy and grace... That's in, in contrast with justice. He's already been talking about God's justice in chapters 1, 2, 3 of Romans. How do I know this? Chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being poured out against all those who do unrighteousness. Is that justice or is that mercy? You can answer it. It's obvious. It's justice. If you sin, you're going to reap the consequences of sin. Going back to Exodus, you can read all throughout the scriptures that the holy God, the thrice holy, 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 is a God who is not going to by any means clear the guilty. He's not going to just wink, wink. I can't even do it. He's not going to wink, wink at sin. He's not going to say, oh, well. He's not even going to take up the postmodern mantra and say, you got your truth and I got mine in heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. When you look at the mercies of God here in chapter 12, basically the apostle is saying, hey, are any of you perfect? And everybody kind of cowers. No, we're not. You know, we all know that you said in Romans 3 that, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. They all have missed the mark of perfection. You've sinned. That's a, that's a, um, a bow and arrow term. If you don't hit the bullseye and you miss, you've sinned. And if you've missed by a lot, you've sinned a lot. The whole point is, is when Paul is saying to the believers there in Rome, by God's mercy, he says, you know what? You haven't been destroyed. You haven't gotten what you deserve. The wrath of God hasn't come down on you. The mercies of God have held it back. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Justice is when you get what you deserve. And you see, grace is only possible because of God's mercy. Because God holds back from the punishment he then is able to lavish upon you gifts. And we're going to see that today. He gives you something that you don't deserve. By the mercies of God, he says, I'm pleading with you, family members in Christ, that you would look at, at your life and the time of your life as a sacrifice. You don't need to die for Christ. You need to live for Christ. And that's what he says in verse 1. And, and your living for Christ ought to have a holiness about it. Something that God the Father is going to look at you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In fact, the text says it's, it's acceptable to God. Do you ever consider if what you're doing is acceptable to God? Well, Paul is pleading with the Christians in Rome. Yeah, consider this all the time. Your life is a living sacrifice, 24-7. And he says, this is just your spiritual duty at the end of verse 1. Uh, sometimes they translate it as your spiritual worship. This is only reasonable. Why would it be reasonable for us to give everything? Pastor, you're asking too much. You know, 
It'd be like me saying, no, everybody that puts your tithe in, double it because that's what the pastor's asking or something. And you say, well, you can't do that. Well, I just did. But you don't have to listen. But when Paul is pleading by the mercies of God that this is reasonable, what I'm trying to tell you is when you look at what God has done for you, when you realize that you're in the cloud of his mercy and you're not in the, the, the path of his judgment, his wrath, I was talking to one of the church members this morning about uh, those, the 10 people that died in Buffalo. They happened to be at the, at, they, they were in the line of fire. They got the wrath that came from that person. It's awful. If God's wrath came upon you, it would be worse than awful because you'd be separated from his, from his grace and eternity in hell under his wrath. I don't want to focus on all that because he says focus on the mercy. And because of the mercy, God is worth it. That's why it's reasonable for you to do that. That's why in verse 2 he says, don't be like the world, which everybody in the world does what they want to do. He says, don't do what you just want to do. Do what God has called you to do. And he explains it by saying, by not being conformed to this world, you're going to be transformed. In other words, God has started something in you that's called transformation. I've used the illustration during this year about the butterfly that, that is metamorphosized from being a, a caterpillar. What a big change. You were once known as a big sinner. I was going to look over and Lady and, and the other ones that Sean was talking about when you were little. You were once like this and now you're like this. And when Sean was talking about it, it's like you guys have grown up. It's almost like you got wind in your wings. It's beautiful when you see the change, the metamorphosis that takes place. But he says, don't be like the world because you shouldn't be. It's reasonable that you present your body a living sacrifice. And then he says, God is doing something to you to transform you. You don't transform yourself. You get transformed. He does a work on you. Philippians 1.6, he begins a good work in you and he will perfect what he started. It's really cool when you see the sovereign hand of God in salvation. He says this transformation takes place in an interesting way. In verse 2, do you see what happens? What actually changes? Do you get two feet taller? Do you grow hair if you're bald? No, what happens if you look at that text, you're transformed by the renewal of your mind. Something happens inside. Some people want to say it's your heart. It's hard to really tell what the heart and the mind, how they're different in Scripture, because we're not talking about the physical brain that, that has impulses and, and nerve endings. We're not talking about the literal heart that's pump, 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 that's pumping blood all around. We're talking about you. It's you with your personality, you in the image of God, the imago Deo. It's you. It's how you function. It's how you prioritize. It's how you care. And God is saying through Paul to the believers, God does something to your thinking. It's really interesting when you realize that. Your mind is renewed. R.C. Sproul picked up on this, and that's why his whole ministry is called the renewing of your mind. And then it says, when you get this renewed mind, that some things happen. And we've gone over it. You end up figuring out what God wants. You start to realize what's beautiful and what's not. Your ability to like sin kind of goes down. And your ability to like that which is lovely, pure, just, and holy goes up. Now, not always do you love always doing the right thing. Maybe you should. But God is in the process of moving us from where we are spiritually to where we're called to be. It's called sanctification. Now, when you realize that, you learn what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God, the end of verse 2, which you're looking at. Now, after that, then you get into, okay, your mind is renewed, and now here's our three points. From this renewed mind, genuine Christian love flows. It's from that transformation that God has taken you away from the worldly thinking, away from leaning on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and you end up becoming someone that thinks God's thoughts you, you discern what he loves and what he enjoys. And you gravitate towards the things that are lovely, just, and pure. When I look at this genuine Christian love flowing out of a renewed mind, it is beautiful when you realize that this renewed mind changes everything. If you go to Paul's writings and other books, he doesn't quite use the word mind. In, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, he says that everything becomes new. You become a new crea a creature. A new creation. It's quite fascinating when you understand that. But God 
is doing a neat work where I'm, I'm going to read. It, God's activity flows. The renewed mind comes because of the new birth. No longer like the world, you live uh, no longer like the world in how you process your information. Now you see things through his glasses. I call it the helicopter view of faith. He gives you a different perspective than you had before. The things that seem so important, they don't seem so important. The things that are important are priceless. And then you begin to realize there are things that are worth dying for. There are things that are worth living for. The renewed mind is able to grasp God's agenda. They get to know the perfect mind, the will of God. And this renewed mind comes in concert with the body because the body is supposed to submit to your inner being and your body's supposed to be a living sacrifice. It's holy. So what you do with your body should match up with what your renewed mind is telling it to do. And it's your reasonable service because God has started this whole thing. He was the domino that, that pushed down and then we change because he first loved us. When I think of 1 Corinthians 13, I guess verse 11, if you bring that verse up, you'll be able to see that the mind is an interesting thing. When I was a child, I thought like a child. We just stop there, right? All of us are perpetually children. We'll just go to uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, and we're the children of God. So we just think like children, and that's the way it's going to be. But this, is that what the text here in Corinthians is saying? No. Yes, for a time you were immature. For a time you didn't see it all. For a time you had a limited perspective. And if you took it, if you were the size of little Charlie over here, you know, Charlie's almost, I'm going to almost say she's almost a year. And she's pulling up now. Isn't it so exciting? Charlie's one of the best listeners to the sermon. She pays attention and then she rests. <laughs> she's at peace. Now, I don't think that as a child she's going to pick up all about the big words of sanctification or renewed mind or even, you know, even if you're going to look at the metamorphosis. Okay, when I was a child, I think like a child. But I grow up. God matures me. He's moving me from where I was to where I should be. When I became a man, when I became a woman, I'm not, con I'm not confused. I'm saying when you become what God has grown you up to be, you will have this maturity. And you'll think not like a child anymore. That's why it's so interesting that the Apostle Paul is just loaded up in the rest of the book of Romans telling people to think, 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 think. Reason. Go through it all. Even when he says to live in harmony, which we see in a few moments, it's the way you think about how it's going to work together. It's beautiful in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, Paul told the people at Colossae, it was a smaller book, and he ended up telling them about their minds. He says, set your minds on what? Do we? Isn't it easier to look on your phone and see what you should be thinking? Shouldn't be looking at the latest feed or the things that, that come into your, uh, into your zone. Or maybe we should just be dependent upon whatever some director at a newscast ends up telling us on, on our favorite TV station. You see, we're supposed to set our minds. We are volitionally supposed to say, hey, what's important is the things that are above, the eternal things. And it's really quite beautiful when you realize that all of this, the origination of the thoughts of a renewed mind... Uh, they start from God changing you. Now, once you realize that, then the second point is the genuine Christian love flows out of a renewed mind in a direction. It goes towards people. Now, you may not have picked this up in our text, and I want to reread it for you, uh, but I want you to see there's, there's two main groups. Actually, there's three. The, the, it, but there's only two that it flows towards. I'm going to pick up, if you will, in chapter 12, verse 3. And then you're going to see where the focus of this genuine Christian love targets first. The target in chapter, three, or chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you, the Christians, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Did you notice the word think? What do minds do? They're supposed to think. So immediately after you get this renewed mind, you're supposed to think about something. And he says, make sure when you think about yourself, notice the first target, how are you supposed to think about yourself? He says, I say to you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. <laughs> it's really interesting that the renewed mind 
ends up by starting with you saying, I'm thinking, oh, I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not the most important person in the church. I'm not the only one that is walking on this planet. Don't think of yourself as being the center of everything. He says you ought to have sober judgment. In other words, when your mind thinks, you ought to really get with it and stop being childish. And the childish is when you think that you're so important that everything is about you. He says with sober judgment and according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you. He says when you think soberly, you're going to say, oh, God put me here. You know, for me, I think about the fact that uh, I'm not the firstborn in my family. I'm not the second, third, or fourth. I'm the fifthborn. How much to say did I have in that? And technically, if you want to be legalistic, mom and dad had, I think, two or three more pregnancies, so probably I was number eight or nine. I don't know. I know of the living, I'm number five. Now, when you look at this, God has given us a measure that he has assigned. God, our sovereign God, is the one who said, hey, you're going to grow up in this culture, you're going to have this DNA, you're going to be able to have this freedom, or you're not going to have this freedom. All these things are out of your control. Job said it so well. He said, naked came I into this world, and naked I'm going to leave. Everything that's been dished out to me is not of my doing. Did you ever realize that? He says, when you think soberly about yourself, it's really beautiful. Now, in verse 4, he goes on to try to help you to think about yourself. He says, for as, the one, as in one body we have many members, and many members do not have all the same function, so we, through though many, are one body in Christ and individual members one of another. And we have gifts differing according to the grace given to us. I just want to just highlight quickly, because I've talked on this before, is that when you look at yourself and you think soberly about yourself, that you're not the center of the universe, then you realize that God placed you where? In the body of Christ, in the theological family, you are in. And when he put you in, he might have made you a pinky finger instead of a pointer finger. He might have made you an elbow, or he might have even made you a kneecap, a patella. I'm impressed. I got a bone out there. What is God, where has he placed you in the body of Christ? He says, when you think soberly, you're going to realize, hmm, I'm not the whole body. I'm one particular part of the body of Christ. If you are a particular part, and we've been praying for our brother Matt, uh, uh, Rick's uh, son. He's supposed to have his heart transplant. I've been praying by, by the 20, liver transplant. He's praying, we've been praying for that to come by his birthday, that there would be somebody identified and it would be known by the 21st. He's only looking for one part of the body because one part of his body is not working right. Does it have an effect on the whole body? Oh, it surely does. You are one little part of the body. Let me just assign all of us our livers. Okay? We have, a, we, we have a, an important place. That was the first focus. It, it's, it's, it's basically looking at yourself. But the two texts that I really want to drive home is that this genuine Christian love doesn't flow to us. We don't start loving ourselves and patting ourselves on the back. Oh, you did a great job yourself. Oh, that was just wonderful. No, we don't. The love doesn't flow there. When verse 9, he says, genuine Christian love flows out of us and it flows towards others. Where does it flow? There's two different categories. And see if you can find the distinction. There's one group and then there's a new group. I'm going to read it out loud and I hope you can find it. We're looking at verse 10. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Did you notice the one another? Verse, uh, the middle, uh, the second part of verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Did you notice the same words again? Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality implied to the saints. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do, and do not curse them. Did we switch? Do we have a new group? Let me go on a little further. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with... One another. Are you spotting something? Is that he's been talking about one another, one another, one another, one another. And he keeps like, a, like driving a nail in. Bang, bang, bang. He's hitting you one after another with all these imperatives. If I go a little further, you're going to see where the switch takes place. When he says, 
Uh, live in harmony with one another, verse 16. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Or, that's basically a reference to verse 3. Don't think of yourself too highly. He says, but, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, the shift here in the word all is moving us outside of the particular body and it's moving us towards an understanding of humanity. And so if you look at verse 18, if possible, and that's where the real shift hits, if possible, live at peace with all, with mankind. Okay? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. And this is talking about the people that are coming after you. And he says, vengeance is mine. And he goes on to, to verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. So now he has definitely a category of an enemy. Okay, I wanted to be able to make this emphasis that I believe there's two categories that genuine love, genuine Christian love flows towards. And I want you to spot it. The first one is it, it makes us affectionate family members. Okay, we're in the body of Christ. And we've talked about the body of Christ, one another. And then there's a shift where it makes us peaceful neighbors with those who are outside the body of Christ pretty interesting but some of us might struggle who's in the body and who's not are enemies in the body are persecutors in the body let me go ahead and march through for you as we look at this because the text is before us that the interactions of the thoughts of a renewed mind are actually towards church people, towards a theological family. That's where I want to focus today and we'll pick up the enemies, we'll pick up the stuff at the end because we're taught how to be overcomers of all of that. But right now I wanted to focus on what we had said in the, in the, in the Great Commission at the beginning where it says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the person next to you. And in this particular case, in the body of Christ, and there's multiple texts in Scripture that we're supposed to love the saints. So that's where I believe the Apostle Paul, and in chapter 16, he tells us a list of over 25 names of people that cared for each other. And this is where the absolute genuine love needs to be for one another. So let's look at this list. Uh, I want to become familiar with the 13 imperatives. The first one is, in, um, is, is actually in verse 9. It says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. The imperative there when you have genuine love is that you discern. Whenever you're doing anything, discerning is, is an action of the heart, right? No, it's, it's action of the mind. You figure it out. You have reasonable understanding. You discern what is evil. You discern what is good. How do you know whether something's good or bad? The Bible. Now, some people might say that if you're eating something like those wonderful cookies that are on the tray back there, um, I knew they were good even before I ate one. But my experience of knowing it was when I took the thing and broke a piece off and took a taste. Boy, it was wonderful. Okay, now I know. I just don't know, you know, intellectually or theoretically. Now I know experientially. But discerning is one of the things that is uh, an imperative. You should discern between right and wrong. Secondly, you should cherish. He says, love one another with brotherly love. In the Greek, this is the word Philadelphia. It's actually spelled out, Philadelphia. Okay, because Philadelphia comes from the Greek term that means brotherly love. Basically, he says, you're the family, show it. Show it. You should cherish one another. And that's why he puts it way up at the beginning. He says, remember, you're part of the same body. Just like I said, if you're part of a liver and you're needing, you know, and your livers and, and the body of Christ needs a liver, you see how important you are. Thirdly, outdo one another in showing honor. This third imperative is to honor. Now, this is a little bit hard because we don't understand honor these days. In the old days, when they had a victory, they would have a parade come through and you would honor the victor. They would have a crown on or they would have a, the, 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 what do you call it, the, the leaves around their head. You would know. If we're reading in the king, uh, in, in Esther, the book of Esther, Haman wanted to honor uh, himself and he ended up having to honor Mordecai. And so they put Mordecai on a, on a horse and marched him through and they had people blow trumpets and they actually said these wonderful things. You see, honoring is... Not just the gifts. In the New Testament, it said that pastors that serve well or that handle the word of God well are worthy of double honor. So what are we talking about? 
It's recognizing respect, and it's also uh, deferring to them. There is a sense in which you value them. And, it's, and, it, and when you value somebody, you often show it with actions. But the actions themselves are not the honor. When the, when the wise men came to see Jesus, you know, the, the, the three kings from Orient are bearing gifts. Okay, they came to meet with Jesus, the one-born king. Now, how do we know that they honored them? How did we know that those three guys, uh, they did something? It says that they worshipped him. And then part of their worship was demonstrated that they gave him stuff. Uh, I just was reading about how it was worth maybe a half a million dollars in those days. What they just poured out. I was reading about how Jesus really wasn't poor. The Bible says he was rich. And, and so they were challenging in the thing about, did you realize how God provided for Jesus? He was never lacking. Even though he didn't have a home, he didn't have some place on the Riviera or anything like that, he had everything he needed. The Bible says he was rich, but for our sakes he became poor. He emptied himself even of the stuff that would have had as, as a carpenter to go to the cruel cross. Honor. And the interesting thing he says, hey, look around. Can you honor somebody better than somebody else can? If you're married right now, you ought to take on that challenge. Pick a person in the church right now and say, I can outdo honoring him better than you can. Sounds like a silly challenge, doesn't it? But what am I trying to tell you? There is so much more honor that we can give to one another. And we don't. Some might even think that giving honor in this day and age is a bad thing. If you have a guy holding the door for a lady, they might say that chivalry is bad. But they were trying to honor by saying, you're important, come on in. It's interesting how the world doesn't understand honor anymore. They're just self-centered. They practice verse 3. They think of themselves more highly than anybody else. Now, if you go to verse 4, or the, in verse 11, he says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. The imperative here is to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Don't be lazy at serving. Serve him with zeal. As I walked in today, somebody told me that they came to the women's brunch, and it was wonderful. And then they said there was a bunch of guys out there that were serving with a joyful smile, and they were hard workers. It was really neat how everybody was praising everybody. It was very honorable. But they were energized. Also, if you look here, the optimistic. Uh, the Bible says rejoice in hope. Even though you can look around and you can see misery all around you, he's telling the Christians, you need to rejoice because God has given us a hope. There's going to be a trumpet sound at least uh, according to 1 Thessalonians 4. And when that trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will be raised. And those that are alive will be caught up together with him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's a blessed hope. We don't have to sorrow as those who don't have any. No matter what happens, even if gas goes to $10 a gallon, you can be optimistic that a better day is coming. The Bible says, be patient in tribulation. This is a tough one for me to swallow. Why do Christians uh, loving one another have to be patient in tribulation? It's kind of like when you get married, why do you have to have counseling? Everybody loves each other. I mean, you willingly went into it. It's supposed to be great, 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 as my mother would say. She always does three greats. Patient in tribulation. It means that you're dealing with sinners all around us. And he's basically saying genuine Christian love is patient. By the way, if you know Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience. The Spirit of God tells us it's not on our timetable, it's on His. If you go a little further, He says, be constant in prayer. The imperative is to talk to God all the time. And that fits with what Paul says to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Or if you want to go back to Proverbs chapter 3, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Uh, these, this, this list is huge. Uh, contribute to the needs of the saints. Uh, this one was a, a good one for me. I'm saying, how do you know how to contribute to the needs of the saints? How do you know? Do you just bring a bigger offering and say, oh, give it to the church and the church will distribute it? Maybe so. But the way this genuine Christian love works is that you care about somebody else and you genuinely try to meet their needs. There's somebody in our church right now looking for housing. There's somebody in the church right now looking for a place for their business to be. There's people that are, that are in need of some, some, um, some counsel. 
and there's some folks that got diagnosis that is not good. What are the needs? We're usually quick at finding how to fill a stomach. That's an easy need to fix. But do we pray for one another? Do we care for one another when somebody is so near death? Do we drop, drop what we're doing and come and, and even give a word of encouragement when they go through the valley of the shadow? Compassion. But hospitality, hospitality is that we actually go out of our comfort zone to help somebody else. It's, it's in order to see the need, but also to do something about it. Then he says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. The actual text here, blessing has to do with verbal. It has to do with speaking it out loud. Don't speak negative about your brother and sister. Don't use your tongue to destroy. James spent a lot of time in James chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 3. He says the tongue is like a fire. It can burn people up. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. For there's a father up above looking down in tender love. If you're listening to somebody who's got a tongue that's, that's not blessing but is persecuting or prosecuting, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Close them up. Your tongue ought to bless and not to curse. Empathetic. You ought to rejoice with those who weep. Uh, re <laughs> rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And then when I think about this, and I'll wrap this up with the imperatives. Whew. Yeah, I know it's a long list. <laughs> he says, be in harmony. Be in harmony. If I stood up here and I tried to demonstrate harmony for you, love, that's not harmony. What's it take to have harmony? It takes more than one note. It takes another person singing another note that's not at odds, so it's not dissonant, but it's that another person sings a note that's in the same zone, that's in that, har that's in that range. Whether it's a circle of fists and all that, I don't know. I can hear it. The Bible says, be at harmony. 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 It is, the way the Greek text says, think about it like that. It is live in harmony with one another. This is so cool when you think of the body of Christ. I'm telling you that the wrap, the wrap things up, I'm going to take you quickly to the third point. Genuine Christian love, is it still flowing through Christians today? The easy answer to that is, is it flowing through you? Do you have love for the brothers? Do you? Do you have any clue what's going on in anybody else's life? Now, I'm not asking you to be a gossip. It's not good to be a gossip. Like I said, be careful what you hear. But when you're going to meet each other's needs, when you're going to serve Christ with eagerness, when you're going to do all these other things, where you're going to be patient and optimistic, you're going to be able to weep with those who are weep that are going through tragedies. Like I mentioned, uh, there's a few folks that have had some difficulties this week. You don't just laugh. You weep with them. And then when there's others who are having blessings and answers to prayer, you rejoice at them. I have to tell you, it was really a joy for Tracy and I to see Christian graduate from Impact 360 on Friday. You know, here was a place that we didn't have a clue about. Um, you know, it was never on our agenda. And then to be able to sit through this thing where 75 young people, freshmen, are, are singing praises to God. And seeing the families and grandparents all around there. And they were just so excited for the kingdom of God. And the commissioning that you got. I was like, we all need that commissioning. To go into the world and to be a Christian. They, they were making me laugh down there because three kids were named Christians. So at least there were three Christians there. <laughs> and then they made me laugh when they said I was Mingle's dad. Because they named him Christian Mingle. It's really cool. Don't be embarrassed on that one. It's neat to be able to see that fellowship of the saints. I finish up by asking, is when I talk about the application of our thoughts towards one another, I want to challenge you. I don't think that we really care for one another like scripture tells us to. I don't think that the harmony is going on. I think there's a lot of solos being sung. And I want to challenge you. That when people are hurting, when people are doing things that are not beautiful, when, you, when you're talking about this persecution from these Christians, you know, when it says, um, uh, be patient, long-suffering, uh, he says, be patient in tribulation, what this says is that people are pursuing something else. And when they push on you to get on their bus to go in a different direction, he says, be patient, be patient, God is going to work this together. I wrap it up with the, with the last point. Genuine Christian love was modeled by Jesus. 
The reason we call it Christian love is because we're following Christ. Or if you remember my opening illustration, what's pouring out of us is what's been put into us. Christ has come into us and he pours out through us, almost like a teapot. When the water goes in, what comes out is Christian love. How did the Christ love get inside of you? If you go to some of the scripture verses, you can find it very clearly in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. He started all this, that he loved and he gave what was necessary. He met our need. He was very compassionate. He endured the persecution that we, he came into his own and his own received him not. When you look at all these things, wow. Jesus personifies love. And the Christian love that we're supposed to have flow to one another is Christ flowing through us. When you look at the cross, that's why he said, endure the tribulation. He did. He endured the despising and the shame. Isaiah said it so well, um, all we like as sheep had gone astray, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of, all, of us all. He was bruised for our transgressions, the, and, and he was beaten. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. When you realize what the love of Christ has done to us. Galatians 2.20 says, Since I have been united with Christ, I've been crucified with him. Nevertheless, I now live. The love of God flows through me. Is it flowing through you? Do you know Christ? You can look at your fruit and see. But the people in Rome needed this encouragement. Brothers and sisters... Is your love genuine towards one another? Lord Jesus, I do pray that you will help us to examine our hearts. I pray that you might grow us up. As you said in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, where love is patient and kind and it thinks no evil. It, bears, uh, it, it, it endures all things. It hopes all things. It believes all things. And then it says, when I was a child, I didn't think right. I only thought like a child thinks. But when I grew up, it's like that love of God changed me and the love of God flows through me. Lord, I pray that you will bless us that we might be spigots of the love of God, that we might shine like the sun or as my son has indicated, that we might glow like neon, reflecting the glory of our loving Lord in whose name we pray, amen. Let's all stand and worship the Lord together. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll,
been a beautiful, blessed day. There are some things that we need to care for the, com the concerns of others in the body of Christ. I'm particularly wanting to pray for Dick McCoy with his recent surgery. I haven't gotten the update on that. And I want to encourage all of us to pray that God will provide that liver, that, that donor for a liver for Matt. Uh, there are some other things that are super pressing, but I do want to encourage you to be well because it should be well with your soul because of what God has done for us. Now let me conclude with the benediction from uh, the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working inside of us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, all through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, forever and ever, and all of God's people say, amen, amen. and hallelujah, and Jesus is Lord.